He played Karakan. His rating was higher. But from move seventeen, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast. My rook was a knife, and my almighty queen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Shahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com, and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca! His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Welcome back to Ladies Night. I'm Jennifer Shahadi, and I am here with a very special guest live in St. Louis, Dorsa Derekshani. She is an international master, a women's grandmaster, a three-time gold medalist at the Asian Youth Championships, and a student at SLU. In 2017, she switched federations from Iran to the United States after she was banned in February 2017 from playing the Iran national team for her decision not to wear hijab when competing internationally. Her brief choices were reported on all over the world from NPR to CNN to the New York Times. She is now studying biology on a pre-med track in St. Louis University. She wrote a memorable op-ed for the New York Times in December 2017 and recently gave a TED Talk in Munich. In the Times, she wrote, in this sense, America at its best reflects the best values of chess. Chess doesn't care how old you are or what you wear. It doesn't care about what gender you are or how much money you have. It is blind to all that. It cares only about merit. That's why I am applying for U.S. citizenship and why I hope to someday represent this country in the Olympics. And it's why barring people from the game based on their ethnicity, religion, or clothing is so wrong. Thanks so much for joining me, Dorsa. Yeah, thank you, Jen. That was a really that was a really great intro. I wouldn't done I wouldn't have done any better. <laughs> No, it's it's really awesome to have you and to have you on the show. I've been as soon as I came up with the idea for Ladies Night, you were one of the first people I wanted to have on. Thank you. Normally, I skip this question because I feel like it's really boring, but because everybody asks it when you're at parties. But I know your story is a little bit more interesting to me than most people, especially since I'm the mom of a toddler. When you were a kid, you were you were kind of like an intellectual prodigy. Like you learned to read when you were just two years old, right? That's true. Yeah, my my parents really wanted me to know as much as I can about everything, and I was an eager kid to know about everything. And I kept asking why this, why that. So um, it was actually on first birthday party of uh, one of my closest friends, and she could read, and so she could form full sentences, and she could ask questions, and not like a toddler, just like a in a very grammatically correct sense. So my parents were surprised by that and they decided to try and teach me how to read and write. And next time that I met up with uh, one, this close friend of mine, I could speak better than her, I could read, and my parents were 
quite proud of themselves that in short, uh, in about three, four months, I was completely caught up and I could read and write and I, I could understand sentences and they started teaching me math and they started explaining to me how science works. And and what about chess? When did chess come in? Uh, chess is one of those things that my parents wanted me to know just because if I end up liking it. So when I was two, my dad had this really tiny magnetic chess set that he would play my mom on. And then uh, my mom would lose and she hated it. <laughs> so uh, my mom started teaching me and uh, then my mom and I would like team up against my dad, but we were still not strong enough. Uh, my father liked playing chess when he was in high school, but it was during those times in Iran that chess got banned after the revolution for about 10 years. So he couldn't really um, do much about it. So he had, he just had this chess set and later on he played with my mom and I, and um, they didn't really force me to learn even how the pieces work. So I was just playing around and like understanding the rules and very, as best as my parents could, because they weren't uh, chess, real chess players. They just liked moving the pieces because <laughs> when I was four I finished fourth grade but uh, by Iranian law because they never had anybody like that uh, they wouldn't let me just go sit in the fifth grade when I was five years old and I did the exams we went to a lot of officials and offices then my parents tried to fill in my time with different things ballet chess swimming painting the tv hosting and when the tv hosting didn't fall through um this um very similar stories about I didn't want to wear hijab when I was six years old so then the chess got more serious. Then they would take me to the chess federation for the lectures and the public classes. And then I started doing some private lessons when I was a little before eight to learn some stuff about openings and just what to expect and how to prepare for the game. And then I played my first tournament, girls um, championship under eight, Iranian national championship. And I won that tournament, eight out of nine. <laughs> I still remember I blundered. Um, I got forked. I played a G6, Knight F6. My queen got forked. I still do remember that game. It's pretty sad. But anyways, I qualified for um, the World Championship of Girls Under 8, which I believe in 2006 was quite a new addition. I do believe that 2006 was one of the first years that they were doing Girls Under 8 or Under 8 in general for World Championships. So that was interesting. And I started winning tournaments and I started playing internationally and... I liked it. So, wow, you, you just mentioned so many things I want to follow up on. What about the TV hosting? Tell, us, tell me more about that. My parents also taught me to sing and like I had a good memory. So I could, uh, I remember the lyrics and I sang and there was a super popular um, Iranian singer before the revolution, but she still sings um, named Gugush to any of the Iranians <laughs> listening. And uh, so my mom loves her and she started teaching me some of her songs. And uh, once when I was about two and a half years old, uh, we were in this mall and I started singing and dancing. I, I used to wear these cute dresses. And so I started singing and dancing to one of her songs. And a TV producer uh, saw me and he was like, wow, she has so much confidence and she has so much to talk about. So let's take her on in live TV. So they took me on the live TV and then uh, they started uh, showing the audience that I could read. So my mom, um, back then, there wasn't this ready packages to buy. So she had to make this um, note cards that she would just put one word on and I could read that word. And um, so we had this big stack of like 200, 300 words by the time I was two and a half. And so uh, when we went on the live TV show, my mom had this uh, plastic bag of my note cards. <laughs> she showed on the live TV that I could read and then I sang. And then I also um, read a little bit from a book. And uh, the, the purpose of that was to show the audience that a two and a half year old actually can do uh, more than just um, spotting. And 
Uh, so you can read, just uh, you just have to be able to have the time and the energy and the patience to want to teach the, the child. Yeah, that was how it started. And it went on to up until I was around six years old. And um, that day was a religious event. So they wanted uh, the girls, regardless of the age, to wear a hijab. I was, uh, in my six-year-old brain, I was kind of scared of uh, giving lice. So I didn't want to wear that. And also it didn't make sense to me because I already was wearing some sort of respectful clothes. I wasn't, as a, even as a six-year-old, we were trying to level out the dress and the, the with like um, leggings or stuff like that, just to be respectful to the culture. But they still wanted me to wear like a long uh, sc scarf. And it, I remember it was black and I hated it and I... So I just decided that I don't want to do a TV show anymore. And I told my mom, she she agreed. She said that you're not going to have a future in TV hosting. You're never going to be a TV host in Iran because she had bigger dreams for me and she didn't want me to just go with the first career choice. <laughs> Got it. So because all TV hosts in Iran wear hijab. You yeah. Know, if, after, um, after what age? Is it puberty usually? Like 13 um, or? Usually around the time, but uh, you wouldn't be able to have... Um, your own opinions you would have to be very strictly following the culture and the, the religious it would be a very closed box I want to say I see so when, let me ask when you were two and a half and you were reading and you know clearly this um, incredible mind were people surprised because you were two and a half or was it also your gender did your gender play into it or was it mostly just like wow this this child is so young i think at that point it was mainly just the age mm -hmm. because um if a two and a half year old boy was doing it i think people would be equally almost equally surprised because at that point they're they just don't really expect the, the preschoolers to know how to read and write and have enough confidence to want to dream big because I do also remember my parents dug up this tape that they had for me. That um, So when I was around three, three and a half years old, my father was documenting, videotaping me. And he was asking me, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a heart doctor. <laughs> and I would either say I want to be a scientist, I want to be a heart doctor. So I, I was kind of dreaming big as a three and a half year old. It's interesting that my parents had those documents that I can look at it now. Answer to your question, I do think it was mainly the age rather than the gender at two and a half so in iran um for our listeners don't know much about it like there, it wasn't that there was a lot of gender discrimination at the extremely young age at that age it was like boys and girls were all like taught the same way and in the same classes and everything up until kindergarten yeah you have mixed kindergarten regardless of the genders they don't really care if you're a boy and you have a female teacher they don't really care about those things but in the primary school they start dividing the schools so the girls go to all girls school boys to go boys school and it's kind of interesting because in university you all come back together and i feel like that's the age that they kind of have to <laughs> if they want to prevent girls and boys relationships they kind of like the university age is the age that actually the government has to worry about <laughs> You're talking about they want them wanting to prevent premarital relationships. Yeah, uh, uh, stuff like that. So, like in high school, usually people are just girls and boys and just just figuring themselves out. They're they're usually shy. So in college and in university, that's the age that they start uh, experiencing and um, thinking about the marriage or premarital uh, relations or anything. And the government putting the the two genders back together again in the universities. 
Well, it's been interesting to me. Well, in America, we probably have about, in the United States, we probably have about like 30% of the population that goes to college. What's that number like in Iran? I'm not sure about the numbers, but uh, I'm, I do know that after the, uh, there are different uh, universities. Some of them are completely free. Uh, I'm sure as here and some of them that you'd actually have to have a lot of money to go to. I don't really have the statistics. I just know that you would have to do a once a year, something like SAT, just instead of few subjects, anything you've ever learned in high school. So it's like a 10 hour, it's more like MCAT or LSAT rather than SATs for 18 year old to do to get to the college. And um, it's instead of SATs that are uh, very uh, frequently organized every few months, uh, those exams in Iran are just once a year. So you don't, you have a bad day and you have to do it again next year. So those have always seemed very um, harsh to me. And I've never actually done that exam. My parents and I, when I was 17, 18, decided that do, I was never ever going to stay in Iran and for the college and university, and I was not going to be working in Iran. So we decided that I was going to skip that exam. And I never actually experienced that horrifying <laughs> exam. You've uh, only spent a couple of years in the United States, but I regret to inform you that, in fact, we do not have free college in the United States. Oh, <laughs> no. I did not know that. <laughs> I mean, no, because you, you, you heard the term community college. Yeah. You assume that was free. A little bit. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, good to know. And we do have some of the greatest universities in the world, um, but we do not have free college. And that's something that comes up a lot in, in politics and debates and stuff. So, but I think it's funny. <laughs> you would think so. I, I really think so. <laughs> right? I wanted to ask, um, so how are you, why were you sure that you weren't going to go to college and start a life in Iran? Was How much of it was the, the gender discrimination and how much of it was in the fact that you'd have to work a job and how much of it was just the fact that you had big plans and just wanted to live in a different, different country? I do believe it wasn't the cocktail of these three. The gender discrimination was definitely the biggest part because this might be a little too political, but for me, it's personal because of what I'm about to say. So in Iran, there are hijab policies. And they only care about women's hijab rather than... So if a man is wearing like a disrespectful t-shirt, they don't care about that. But they do care about if a woman is wearing like a shorter sleeves or something like that. Or her hair is showing too much. I, I don't know the rules because I have... I didn't really live in the country that long to go through the process. But there are a lot of my friends that were affected by this. To me, that was one of the flag... Like the red flags that, uh-uh. When if, if my friends are going through this and I have people who I care about and so it means I can it can happen to me and I I don't want to be treated like a criminal and for not for a bad hijab and the whole the whole thing was really really illogical to me I'm not a political person I just have personal opinions and to me that was one of the super red flags to have this sort of gender discrimination against women and then nothing for men also the fact that there were a lot of uh, in in job opportunities the women and men just a super, super simple example in the medical world um, in Iran. So men are not allowed to do OBGYN. It's considered a kind of a crazy thing for a man to want to be OBGYN, which I don't really understand, but okay. <laughs> and uh, so it means that men would automatically go more towards um, neurosurgery, uh, orthopedics, or general surgery, anything that's well, not OBGYN because women have to do OBGYN. And it feels like more, the more women that would go to the medical fields, then the, because they always need more OBGYN, so they would automatically start going to OBGYN. So even the medical fields, it seemed like it was divided because of the gender discriminations. 
And um, that was also a really big um, red flag for me because if I'm a girl and if I want to be a neurosurgeon surgeon or a, or a pediatric or anything in a medical cardiologist, anything, like yes, three year old. <laughs> Dorsa, yeah. <laughs> then it would be like me and like it, the ratio wouldn't be right. It would be like one girl to 10 men or like even more. I don't know the statistics, but it just felt really wrong that, that the way that the things were set. So uh, I was never going to work and live long term in Iran. Then, yeah, it was a lot of it was gender discrimination. How old were you when you left? Uh, I officially moved out. July 2016, I, li I lived in Spain a year before I came here, and I haven't been back since. I don't really plan on going back. I got my green cards recently, I'm hoping to, to get the official passports and the citizenship, and this is where I want to live. And your brother still lives in Europe, right? And your parents live in Iran? Yes, uh, my brother does live in uh, London. Um, he's finishing up his last year of high school. My parents do live in Iran, but the uh, good news is that um, about a week after I got my green cards, the, my aunt who lives in Dallas, she was here to visit me last weekend, actually. <laughs> Ten years ago, they have applied for my father. She is the sister of my father. They had applied for my father to apply for green card because they have U.S. passport holders. Then they could invite their families to... Uh, apply for green cards and about a week or two after i got my green card uh they received a letter that my family could apply for a green card so we've been really busy with that so yeah the ultimate goal would be for my parents to also receive their green cards and my brother <laughs> to come here to be able to actually live together instead of seeing them for five hours each two years that's amazing i see your mom a lot on your instagram i think and she seems so wonderful and beautiful so yeah. i mean just like a great person she reminds me of you thank you she, she seems very young um she's very youthful and you also talk about your dad and your brother a lot so that it seems like a very warm family which makes sense i wanted to ask um what about chess in iran when you reached a certain age, were you always playing with women? Was it only separate girls and boys or were boys and girls together a lot? So I I was actually having this conversation with uh, some other chess players a little while ago about how it was for me growing up. And actually I was having this conversation with my father too that what was it that got me really interested in chess growing up? Uh, when, when I was like 12 to 13 years old, those, uh, those age that's usually girls wouldn't really prefer to actually um, play with men or uh, they wouldn't feel comfortable, at least in Iran, to play in all-boys tournament, just one girl. And that's how it was for me. Because the chess was banned for 10 years, um, it was before I started playing chess, but it still affected the chess population in Iran. And um, we only had uh, very few uh, international men grandmasters because of these rules. I do believe it was right after the revolution, so in 1970s to mid-80s, I want to say. I'm not entirely sure. So because of this ban, there were a lot of rules and the Iranian chess federation didn't want to go head-to-head -head with government. So they were trying to be super respectful, follow every single law that they could because they didn't want to get banned again. So I do remember that they had rules against girls playing with boys, but they started making exceptions because... Um, they wanted to give opportunities to the girls who seemed talented. And so because I was winning my youth championship uh, national, my category, like under eight, under 10, under 12, every single time they were granting like the, the champion of the, let's say, girls under 12 to play in whatever men tournaments she wants, open tournaments, supposedly. Or the national team, those first five, or like they started expanding. And I do believe that right now the situation is much, much better than me growing up. 
But um, yeah, there they had this very strict laws about who could play. And to me, um, that the response that I gave to my father was when I was 12, 13, the fact that I was this tiny little girl sitting uh, a hall full of men playing each other and I could beat most of them. That was a very um, interesting factor to me. Just be able to beat people <laughs> in chess. Um, and now the Iranian chess teams, both the women and, and the men, are, are so incredibly potent. It seems in particular there's this this boom of women in chess in Iran as well, right? Like a lot of them are getting a lot stronger. To me, it seems like it's always been the same four or five. And some of them stopped playing and some of them actually immigrated like I do believe a um, few of them live in the U.S. right now, or at least have, uh, have frequently visit. And uh, from what I know, one of them or two of them lives in Switzerland. So uh, at least the girls. And there have been rumors about the first man, um, the Firuzja, who crossed to 700 recently. I've heard a lot of rumors of him wanting to reside in France and hopefully change his federation. But I, I haven't spoken to him personally, so I don't have any confirmation. I've just heard a lot of rumors about this. I'm just looking at the FIDE list of top uh, Iranian players, but it it seems that in general, there's a lot more strong players yeah, right now, for, right? Yes, especially for men. It's always used to be like Elshan and then the other few guys. It was always between those five, but um, the, the new generation, a um, lot of them are actually 18 or around 18. I, I remember them growing up and I remember how competitive they were and still are. And I do believe that that's one of the factors that contribute to the male population playing better chess than women because there's this competition but it's friendly so they play each other but at the same time they teach each other rather than at least for me I've never had a, a girl that I wanted to play with and train with and like be friends enough to put the competition aside and it's it's always been like this awkward thing I don't know why um, it might just be the cultural stuff but um I have a theory why that is, because I see it in chess and in poker. I think it's because women are outnumbered by men in chess. Therefore, many women have significant others or close friends who are very strong chess players, stronger than the female friends that they're competing with. Yeah, they could become friends with this person who's about their level and very, very talented, and they could like work together on chess and get better. But there's always that temptation to go with the, you know, maybe male friend or coach or even, you know, boyfriend who's even stronger and then just like keep that work a secret that's that's always been the same for me because especially at least in iran i'm i haven't had the the chance to try it out in the u.s but especially in iran it's always been hard i've never had that kind of friendship with a girl because it was just always this like three or four girls and i feel like so if they know all my secrets are they going to actually trust me with theirs? And is it actually going to be a real friendship or me just telling them all my openings and my secrets and not really learning anything? So there's always that risk. And I never felt that trust between us. I, I do believe that it is the numbers because it's just like these four people. And so the rest are in like a lower level, at least the way it was in Iran. So it was always easier to try and get into one of the groups with the boys or yeah, the male coach or the boyfriend. So that's always been what I did in chess. <laughs> and I, me too. And I, I also noticed this and I was talking to Jennifer Yu about it. And I think that it is better though, to try to make friendships with girls who are about your level, because there's something irreplaceable about that, because there's that mutual benefit and symbiosis, which of course you can learn from a 
better player even more. But I think when you kind of like rise together, that's very helpful. And for the boys who become friends, even though they're competing with each other and share secrets, at some point they maybe stop if they become like, you know, really, really elite players. They obviously have to keep some of their opening work as secret. But I think you find out that you probably learn more than you give away. So our chess team got um, Savrola. I am so sorry, I cannot pronounce her last name. She's the number one Greek. She's the I am the yeah. girl. And uh, she. we are roommates in the college. So I'm really, really looking forward and having that kind of friendship with her. I feel like that's, it can't get any better if that works. Because first of all, we're not competing for like US National Olympic teams together. You know, she's Greek. <laughs> she plays for them. And so there's never going to be that awkwardness. And I do want that to work and I'm something that's I'm really looking forward to. And I, I believe our coach is also really looking forward to. Alejandro. Yes. I think it's funny because it's one of these things where like the social capital of girls and women in chess can be powerful because, you know, people want more girls in their circle to kind of like even out the male to female ratio. But then that can also kind of be like a blessing and a curse. Because it can create a dynamic where people don't necessarily want you for your intelligence as much. They want you more to like fill the quota. We should get to your um, TEDx talk because you recently gave a TEDx talk in Munich. By the way, that was shortly after you got your green card. So huge congratulations. I was so warm to hear about that because I know you also got a chance to see your family after what, what must have been over a year. Two years, actually. Yeah, I'm sure you were yeah. counting. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you also gave a talk about gender difference in chess and your own story. And it was very interesting. And it kind of tied in your work as a med student and your work with biology with your chess career. So can you tell, tell me a little bit about how that TED talk came about and the core message you hope people got from it? I was approached by one of the people that was organizing this TED talk back in uh, end of March, early April. And they wanted me to, they wanted to see what ideas I had. And um, I told them that I'm not comfortable talking anything political. And they were like, we don't want anything political. So I wanted to include chess because they also wanted to know about my life. But I felt like if I just talk about my life there's not a real message in it it's just the choices i made and i can't really force those choices on other people and some of it i i'm still trying to see how it works out as soon as i was approached by um, them i started thinking about so what would i want to say and i wrote a first draft uh pretty quickly uh, and I talked to some of my professors at SLU, uh, my English professor, Dr. Lisa Fisher. She's an awesome professor. Anybody going to SLU? <laughs> she helped me a lot with just because I wanted to make sure that the ideas that I had made sense in English terms or like also I talked to some of my neuroscience professors uh, that they that the things that I was saying about brains made sense and the chess parts, I got it covered. <laughs> so um, the whole idea behind it was to explain. I had a question of why do men play better chess and I couldn't find the answer for it I still really can't but I know for a fact that it's not a biological factor men's brain doesn't work better than women's brain there are differences in men male and female brains but it doesn't mean that one gender makes better decisions and so these are the facts that I got pretty early on and we, I started working around it and I started forming a uh, just a rough draft. I had to cut a lot of it because it would get, I only had about 12 to 15 minutes to, to make this talk. And I really wanted to hit all my main points. The things that I really wanted my viewers to, to, to understand was first of all, who am I? 
so and why do I think I can talk about this? I have the credibility to talk about it. Then I wanted them to understand um, why this topic was important to me, especially chess. And the example that I gave, and I don't think that's arguable, is if you have a serious illness, you go to the ER, you need to be fixed. You don't care if your doctor is a woman or a man. You just trust the doctor, regardless of their gender, with your life. So if you can't trust a woman with your life, then it means that her brain works equally good as a male. Or there shouldn't be that difference that would that some people would say, oh, well, male are better in math or male are better in chess. If you can trust a woman with your life, well, they have the components to play chess just as good as the male. My TED talk was these were the main points that I wanted to get out. And also I wanted the idea that how the, the, the sacred bond between parents and children or a trusted adults, mm -hmm. just in case that um, some, some people don't comfortable with their, are not as comfortable with their parents as I am. I tell my mother everything. I'm going on a date. I tell my parents, Hey, by the way, I'm going on a date. You want to see the picture of the guy? And so I am comf comfortable enough that they're my best friends. I tell them pretty much everything. So, uh, some people might not feel that way and they want their boundaries. And I completely respect that. But I do believe that if you do have a problem, especially since th there has been a lot of, um, I've heard a lot about bullying. I've never had that problem in the high school, but I know people who went through it. And there's been a lot of, in especially uh, in America that I know of, a lot of my friends personally have experienced sexual assault. And they, they uh, so I, I hear their stories, they trust me with it. And I'm really grateful that they tell me their stories, but I feel like I can't help them. And I want everybody to know that they have the option to talk to a trusted adult to and when you start talking about it it just gets easier and that's that was my main point to have somebody that you trust go to them with your issues they'll help you out if they don't find the next one that you trust also i felt like with your talk one of the things that really came clear is that you believe that the differences between individuals are most relevant not the difference between genders and that people are kind of obsessed with like these gender differences i had a lot of talks with uh, some of the great chess players recent right after the talk i wanted to personally know their opinions it's possible that when there's going to be a group of males there's those and hopefully my talk will come up they'll have different opinions and i won't be there to explain my my point of view i'm not saying that uh i'm just as good as a super grandmaster no i'm not but i'm just saying that the biology factors are not that what it determines it my point is that this society and the environment are the main factors that lead to this gender discriminations and the gender imbalance and in my talk i mainly used chess as an example to explain because i was more expert in it rather than driving for example or math so if I'm sure if I if it was 10 years from now and I was a doctor and I felt that way, if I felt that way, my talk would be also about that. So right now I'm more expert in this area in chess and I feel this imbalance wherever I play. So there are a lot of things that people are doing to help the cause, to fix it. So those are my main points. And um, one thing that they did bring to my attention was um, they wanted to know why I chose this topic and they were sharing the ideas. They were pretty much bouncing off ideas. They wanted to know, could the differences in gender's brain be a factor for the level of interest towards chess? I don't have an answer for that, but 
Uh, that's something that I would very much like to see people do research on. And um, I'm going to be shadowing the neurosurgery department at SLU. And I have had a, an appointment with them to confirm the shadowing. And I did bring up the TED Talk before it was published. And I asked the department and uh, I wanted to know if the things I said are accurate. I asked them that what I said about the decision makings that male and female do do make different decisions, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's because I'm a male, I make better decisions. And things that this chess player said about one gender being better, for example, in maths, or I've also heard the driving, but that was a while ago. And they told me, no, these are not correct. There is no factor in the brain that would determine that. It might be an individual case, but it, there is not a biological between the genders, like you're born, you're a girl, you're born, you're a boy. So yeah, they confirmed that I, I am right. And just because you're a man doesn't mean you make better decisions, let's say in math. Right, right, totally. And when you say the interest level, like to me, it's, it's interesting because that's also about incentives, like, you know, women's opportunities for women to also play events. Of course, they can play in open events too. So there are those incentives, but maybe to speed up the process, having some other incentives along the way, which we already have. We have a great U.S. Women's Championship here in St. Louis. Now there's the Karen's Cup. There's some extra opportunities from all sorts of ways in women in chess, which is fantastic because I think it's speeding up the process of equality, which is so important for the game. But then you also had some ideas that you shared with me without getting into specifics. Can you tell me a little bit about how we can get more girls, I guess, I don't know if you call them girls or women, because it's kind of like on the boundary for college, mostly women, I would say young women um, in college chess, because when I look at the statistics at US chess, I see this big drop off for girls in junior high and also around college age. Now, to be fair, there's also drop offs for boys at those ages, but they are often a little bit sharper for women and girls. So what are some of your ideas? Interest levels. um, I don't think Unless people agree to go into MRIs and get their brains analyzed when they're just getting interested in chess, I don't think we can have an accurate uh, description because when you're beginning to enter the chess society and the chess world, there's not even one woman in the top 100 male their live ratings so it's really hard for women to have that role model men have Carlson, Caruana, Ding Liran right now so they have a lot of role models to look to but for females it's um even if they they do get interested and they do come into the chess this psychological and environmental factors would influence the interest rather than the biology that's something that I would like to see, but um, I don't think there's any research going on on it. Hopefully somebody will. <laughs> so for one more women to get involved in chess, uh, especially in US or all around the world, I, one of the ideas that I had was to give more scholarships to girls because from what I know, I do not know a university who gives out full scholarships to uh, women titles. So if you're a woman grandmaster, you won't be getting a full scholarship. But if you are men international master, then you get a scholarship. I don't know about the specifics of different universities. So my idea was that if by any chance there could be a woman board for Pan Ams or Final Four, or um, then this would encourage more universities to give scholarships to women. And then it would encourage more women to have the opportunity to go to college and let's say if you're a woman grandmaster hunting down your IM norms, uh, then you'll get this opportunity to, to, while you're attending college, you'll have 
you can relax, you can learn to study, you can you have a full team to support you, you have coaches, you can play in different tournaments and the it's like a full support group. So that is my idea, but I don't really know how the logistics will work because um, there it, there might be a lot of uh, resistance towards it. <laughs> a lot of colleges might not be able to get girls uh, that strong as they would want, but my wish would be for the college colleges to give out scholarships to the women titles, not just men titles. But I can understand why they would want the stronger players. So I love the idea of more recruitment specifically for women in colleges. I think it's in college chess. I think it's incredibly important. And I like your idea and just the general concept of recruiting at that age level, because it's such a social game. You know, I think with college chess, it's also... It's we've done so much in the United States in the last decade with so many great schools and great talents and great university programs, but also this idea of like maybe outreach to people who aren't professional players. And whether it's women's titles or just, you know, trying to make sure that there are some women who are involved in your chess program. It seems really important, I think, to kind of just making the game more fun. Well, the initial idea that I that I had for this was that um, I was thinking that uh, when we qualify for Final Four, I'm never ever gonna get a chance to play, <laughs> and I this is a tournament that I would want to have the opportunity to um, play at least like one game. But because there's so many other um, higher rated players, it makes much more sense for the coach to put them. And I completely agree with that strategy. But if there is a woman-specific board, then I do get a chance to play in Final Four. And I wouldn't just feel like a spectator. That's that's true. And by the way, I forgot to mention in your bio that you also have the prestigious title of being part of this year's Pro Chess League Championship <laughs> team, the St. Louis Archbishop. So congrats on that as well. Thank you. It was very pleasant. So one of my favorite quotes from your TED Talk was... If men get intimidated by my success, those are the men that I'm not interested in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's because that happens to me every single time. Whenever I start dating somebody, at first they love that I'm this strong, independent woman who knows what she wants and like my job comes first and like my studies come first. And then those are the exact same reasons that um, they don't like me anymore. I'm too successful because I get better grades and then it gets a little too competitive and there goes the dating life. <laughs> But yeah, meanwhile, I'm just keeping my grades up. I'm glad to have study buddies. I'm glad to whoever doesn't get intimidated by my success. <laughs> I think that there will be somebody there for you because I've noticed like when Ho Yifan or Judah Polgar comes up in conversation, like so many men are just like gaga over their intelligence. Like there are men who get intimidated, but there's that portion of men who think that like intelligence is like the most beautiful thing because they just know that they can have... A partner that they look up to and it's kind of exciting i know like my husband was really excited about how smart i am so they're out there <laughs> just wanted to mention that um i probably should have asked you about this earlier but i wanted to mention how awesome and miraculous it is that you know the timing has worked out for you because as far as i understand the exact timing that you moved to america and started attending SLU was also the time that many iranians um had more restrictions on traveling to the united states I actually personally never experienced anything like that. Um, so I got my I-20 in Reykjavik in 2017. So it was in April and I got it. I was living in Spain and I got um, my embassy appointment in Spain and uh, my passport and my visa was ready within the day. 
I didn't really have to wait at all. And when I came here, I was really nervous that they would have more questions for me, understandably, because the, there has been more restrictions going on. But I never experienced anything. Uh, they were very respectful. They just asked me the usual questions. And, but I understand that there has been a lot of restrictions going on. And that has influenced me not being able to see my parents because they, my, my mom and my brother tried to come be with me for last year's championship, 2018. And uh, on the day that the tournament, one day before the tournament was starting, they got actually rejection for no reason. And the, the only reason that they got was that you should follow the news. There's a travel ban going. And they were like, yeah, but we're just going there to support our daughter. We had a, I had a letter from the chess club support to show that they were supportive of this happening. The letter from my university. I had all my documents, their documents. So yeah, so it meant that I didn't see my any of my family members for two years. So sorry to hear that. But um, do you think it was a little easier for you because of all the press about you? Did that kind of ease the path for you here because of all this positive press about your you know brave stance i i really do think so but also i had a really great lawyer <laughs> that she was the one who got this um green cards process while well, i actually i started speaking with her when i was in spain in november october 2016 and we started building a case back then and then when all this press broke out then um they already had a case, so they just submitted a little bit more evidence to support the case. I do believe that this media attention did help a lot, but I just hope it, did, it would help with my family coming here. Yeah, you would hope. And now that you've been here for a couple of years, what is the thing that most surprises you about American life, whether it's college or the chess scene? Whatever I've seen from chess so far in the US has kind of surprised me in a good way, <laughs> um, because at least in the chess club, there is so many classes going on. There is even a class called, uh, there is the ladies nights. There is the road to 2000. There are a lot of different interesting classes that if I was, um, 1800 or 2000 or anything, I would love to attend these classes. And, uh, there's so many weekly lectures and just so many programs in the chess club that if you just walk by, you can just go and sit and learn chess. <laughs> I haven't really experienced the, the, um, American college life, as you would see in movies. <laughs> but I, for me, it's really important to keep up my grades, apply to med school, uh, get all the requirements, shadow as much as I can, keep my team happy, <laughs> um, try to include chess as much as I can because I'm a full-time student. Those are my priorities that to good grades, chess, hopefully med school, um, parents getting here. Yeah, pretty much it. <laughs> wow. In the meantime, what's the best way to follow you? I know you have some social media accounts, but some are private and some are not. I do have Instagram and I do have Facebook, but I don't really use Twitter. Um, I am considering twitching because it was so much fun to do it in the past few days for the Protest League. And that's something that I will look into. Hopefully I will have enough time to do it. If not, it's always going to be on my to-do list. But yeah, it will be interesting. So for now, Instagram, you have a public profile. I do have a private profile, but um, I I frequently look to see um, who's trying to uh, be my friend, follower. I don't know how to say it. Right. Okay. So in terms of public, your TEDx talk is public and I'm yes. going to certainly link to it so that people can, can hear it. And yeah, just keep me posted on all the amazing things you're doing. So happy that you are, you know, part of the United States now and US chess, you know, yes. really, really just glad to have you. It's so great. We're very lucky. Thank so you. Thank you. Thank you. 
If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all US Chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong. After slightly advantage, I had nothing but my dear Capablanco, you tell me.